Hey, this is Shane Valenstein, the pastor at City on a Hill Community Church. I want to welcome you to our sermon podcast. I hope that this podcast helps you grow deeper in your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you want to learn more about our church, you can visit us at cityonahillmd.org. Enjoy the message. We're in the third week of our series called Out in the Open. And uh, this whole month, we're talking about mental health. Something that, that, we have, that we already know, we don't talk about enough. And our goal has been to simply bring things out into the open, to let others know, hey, you're not alone in what you may be struggling with, but I have my own struggles too, and, and you may have your own struggles. And, and if you are struggling, I want you to know that, uh, that there's not like there's something wrong with you, but rather um, that you're human, that you are a person. And I've had, since we've started this series uh, two weeks ago, um, I've had multiple conversations with many of you in, in our church who have come to me and said um, and told me about things going on in, in your life of, over the last few weeks, things that I did not know about. And, um, and maybe you've had conversations with each other about things that have happened in, in your lives. And our whole goal, our, our whole hope is to get it all out in the open, to get it all out in the air and just let everybody realize, hey, let's support one another. We don't need to put on this mask of, well, hey, my life is perfect. I have this great relationship with Jesus, and I don't make any mistakes, and I don't sin, and I don't struggle. I just, I just have this perfect little bubble where everything is great, and that's what I want you to think about me. That's not reality. You know, I think that that's how church maybe used to be. Uh, I don't know how long ago, but maybe when you were younger growing up, it was you show up, you put on your Sunday best, you look a certain way, you fit a certain category, and, and, and everybody looks at you and they think, wow, their life is perfect. That's not the truth. We know that. You know your life. I know my life. And we know that there are difficult things. So we want to we get it all out and, and talk about it. The first week we talked about the myths in regards to mental health. You know, what lies have we bought into in the church? And then last week we talked specifically about depression. And we learned that while our feelings are valid, we should not make a permanent decision based off of a temporary feeling. That's not what we want to do. Rather, we want to trust and know that God always provides and know that God is always working and that God is always in a position where he doesn't leave us out there alone, but rather he always provides hope. So today, we're going to talk about something that I think is extremely common, something that we've all dealt with or we all will deal with at some point in our lives, and that's burnout. So this is not necessarily um, like last week with depression. There could be a chemical imbalance. There could be hormone, hormonal changes. There could be so many different things, and we talked about different root causes in regards to depression. But burnout is something that, unfortunately, many of us know too well. Um, it, maybe you... Maybe you're here today and, and you feel like you're just on the edge. Like you, you can't really take a whole lot more of what's going on. Maybe you feel like everything that you're doing isn't enough no matter how hard you work. No matter how much effort you put into things, you still have discovered, I'm still just like treading water here. 
I'm just trying to keep my head above water, and, and I'm not quite doing a good job, and I don't know why. I'm putting everything I have into this life thing. I'm working my tail off. I'm trying to raise my kids. I'm trying to, to come to church and, and be involved there. I'm trying to be a good human being. I'm trying to read the Bible. I'm trying to have a relationship with, with God, and you feel like you're just simply about to crumble, like you're just about to break, and the truth is that you're not alone. We know this as we talk about every week. You're not alone in your struggles with mental health, but specifically in burnout, you're definitely not alone. A survey of U.S. workers in 2021 showed that more than half of workers feel burned out as a result of their job demands. That's just from your job. That doesn't even include family life. That doesn't include your person. That doesn't include anything but, but your job. So what that means is, Half of the people in, the, in our country who have a job are burnt out because of their job. That's wild. And that, that is so many people. Everywhere that we turn, people are feeling overwhelmed. People are feeling stressed. People are feeling like they are on the edge of burnout. But burnout isn't just working long hours. It's a combination of mental, emotional, physical exhaustion, which is stemming from multiple sources. That's really what, what burnout is. And it, and it reflects the inability to balance competing demands in your life. That includes things like social pressure. You know, you have your group of friends who are all saying, well, we haven't seen you in weeks. We want, can't you just come and, and get some dinner with me? I miss you. I haven't seen you. And it's like, yeah, I do want to do that. And then you get the social pressure from your friends. And then maybe you're struggling financially and you're thinking, I, I have to get a different job or I have to work more hours because I'm struggling just to pay my bills. I'm living paycheck to paycheck to paycheck. So I have to work these long hours just to be able to get enough money to pay for my family, to support my family. So you got your friends knocking on your door saying, hey, I miss you. How come I don't see you anymore? Then you're working long hours just to pay for, for the bills in your life. And then maybe there's family drama or family demands. It's not just your friends, but it's also your close family that, that you have to connect with and you have to invest in. And then there's expectation there. And then maybe you have some health issues going on. Maybe your body isn't operating the way that you want it to operate anymore. And you're frustrated by that. Maybe you're struggling with an illness. Maybe you broke your foot. Maybe, who knows, right? There's so many different health issues that could go on. Then there's a stressfulness that goes into work. Then there is the guilt of all of that combined. And then we're on the edge and we're just like, okay, I'm done. I can't do anymore. If somebody else asks me for one more thing, then I'm going to flip. And then your four-year-old son comes up and asks you for milk for the 25th time when he goes to bed, and you just lose it. I'm not speaking from personal experience at all. <laughs> and you lose it. It's, and, and, and it. And then you feel guilty for breaking, right? Then you feel guilty for flipping out on somebody who, didn't, who did not deserve for you to flip out on them. There's all of this that goes involved in it. Oftentimes, we put stress and burnout together. And while they are related, they're not the same thing. Here, here's the difference between the two. Stress is generally something that is short-lived and related to a temporary project. So maybe you're stressed about a deadline at, at work. Maybe you're stressed about, um, about a baby that's about to be born. 
and, and you're in the pregnancy process. Maybe, maybe you're stressed about an interview, a job interview that's coming up. Maybe you're stressed about a test that you have to take at the end of this week, right? Or a problem. Maybe you're stressed about moving. There's, this is a temporary thing where you're stressed about a specific thing that is coming up. Burnout is this chronic stress that feels like it's never ending, where you feel like there's just no escape. You're frustrated. It feels like there's no relief in sight. And you get to the point where you say, I just don't care anymore. I can't do it all. I can't, I can't fix it all. I don't have all the answers. Obviously, what I'm doing is not enough. And because it's not enough, I just quit. I'm burnt out. I'm throwing in the towel. I'm no longer going to put in my all at work. I'm no longer going to, to put in my all um, at, at church. I'm no longer investing in my friends. I'm no longer investing in the hobbies that I enjoy. I'm not doing any of it. I'm burnt out. I'm just going to stay at home. I'm going to lock myself in my house, and I'm going to watch Netflix, and I'm not going to think about anything else. I quit life. I'm not doing it anymore. And we think that we have nothing left. So if you find yourself in one of those two situations, either stressed or maybe you're flirting with burnout or maybe you already are burnt out, there's a guy in the Old Testament who dealt with similar feelings, very similar feelings. His name is Elijah. And Elijah is one of the titans of the Bible. Elijah is like, it, when, in the New Testament, when, uh, when the disciples or the early church or the Pharisees even, they would talk about, they would look back in the Old Testament and they would talk about Abraham, they would talk about Moses, and they would talk about Elijah. Those are the guys that they would kind of point to of like, these are the four, and there are more, but like those seem to be the big three that, that, that people would often reference. A titan in, in the Bible, because he did amazing things. But here's what Elijah dealt with. He dealt with anxiety. He dealt with depression. He dealt with exhaustion. And he dealt with burnout. So two weeks ago, I, I referenced his story when I talked about, I gave some examples of just some people in, in the Bible who, who dealt with mental health issues, and I referenced Elijah. I want to look a little deeper into this story and, and into his, his ministry in this particular story. So Elijah, at, at one point, he confronts King Ahab. Ahab, not a very good king. And, uh, and he confronts Ahab about his sinfulness. And he also prophesied that there would be a drought to come for three years in the nation of Israel because of Ahab's sinfulness. So Elijah comes along and he confronts the king with terrible news. And not only is it terrible news, but it's your fault, Ahab, that we are receiving this terrible news. So Ahab obviously didn't appreciate that, didn't like that a whole lot. So what he did was for the three years of the drought that Elijah said was going to come, he basically sent an army out to find Elijah and to kill him. So for three years, not only is there a drought in the land, but Elijah now is on the run from King Ahab, who is sending armies after him. I mean, like, armies would go and fight armies from another country, but could you imagine if, like, a whole army is looking for just you? And there's a drought in the land? So you're on the run. There isn't things to provide for you. Like the, you, you can't just go out and start farming and, like, and receive that stuff. So what God did was he would send a raven to provide for Elijah. And God provided everything that Elijah needed over these three years, even though there was a drought. 
He's on the run. Then eventually this all comes to a head. After those three years, Elijah comes to a place where he has this discussion and he says, okay, Ahab, look, let's prove whose God is real. And Ahab says, okay, I know that my God is real, Baal. And Elijah says, no, my God is a real God. So they have this face-off. They have this duel where 850 prophets of Baal face off against one prophet of God named Elijah. 850 to one. And they have this little duel in front of everybody. Like there is a crowd watching this. And what they're trying to do is to prove that their God is real, they set up an altar and they pray to their God for the altar to be instantly lit on fire. And so the prophets of Baal go first, 850 prophets, and they're dancing. They're literally cutting themselves with blades, uh, with knives. Um, They're bleeding all over the place. They're shouting out to their God, asking Baal to prove that he is real. And of course, we know nothing happens. And Elijah just sits back and laughs and laughs and laughs. I mean, the guts that this guy has, right? 850 to 1. He laughs at him. Then he walks up and says, all right, my turn. Sets up his altar and then soaks it in water. Now, I don't know if you know anything about starting a fire, right? But you don't want to douse your wood in water prior to starting a fire. So, but to prove a point, he dumps it, dumps it, dumps water all over his altar, and then prays to God, of course, lit on fire. And then the 850 prophets of Baal, all slaughtered. I mean, this is just like a really feel-good story, right? <laughs> slaughtered, dead. So you would think at this point, you would think Elijah, after what he's seen for three years, being on the run, prophesying to Ahab, telling him what's going to happen. Then it happens. And then while that's happening, the army's going after him and he still runs from them, is safe. God provides everything he needs, faces off with all these prophets, embarrasses them. You would think that after that, there would be nothing that could shake Elijah, right? But then comes along Ahab's wife. Her name is Jezebel. and Jezebel is sick of Elijah. And after the duel, this is all that she does. She says, by this time tomorrow, mark my words, you will be dead. Now, he has been told this by Ahab and prophets and all these other men. Doesn't get scared. One woman comes along (laughs) and tells him, you're dead. And he was like, oh my gosh. Like, if that doesn't speak to the power of women, I don't know what does. He's like, what? And he's terrified. He is, he is absolutely terrified. Think about everything that he has experienced up until this point. And then one person comes along, one irritated person comes along and makes a threat. And how does he respond? He completely and entirely falls apart. Completely falls apart. And thinking about it in the way that I just described it, it's like, what, what, what in the world? How? How could he do that? But then when I was thinking about it a little bit more, it's like, no, this kind of makes sense. This, this makes sense because when, when you fall apart, when I fall apart, when we as people fall apart, it isn't necessarily when the big thing happens. It's when 
the last thing that was just too much for you to handle happens. I mean, he's, he has to be exhausted just from everything that's happened over the last few years. And he's continuing to do everything right. Like he's trusting in God. He's allowing God to provide. He's going, and he's trusting in him with everything that he has. And then he finally gets to this place where he thinks, I'm done. Finally, I don't have to be on the run anymore. I've defeated, God had provided. I've defeated the prophets of Baal. I don't have to worry about Ahab. Surely he has to know not to mess with me. And then still, he has to deal with more stuff. I mean, it's just, it's just the final straw that broke the camel's back. That, that's what it is. He handles everything until there is just one thing too many. We've been there where you handle things, handle things, handle things, handle things, handle things, handle things. And then finally, you're just done, and one more thing comes, and you say, I quit. I, I can't, I can't do it anymore. I'm just burnt out. See, the other interesting thing about Jezebel is that in Scripture, there is no evidence that she actually did send an army. We don't see that anywhere. All that she did was just say something. All that she did was just make a threat. I mean, he's literally seen armies chasing him for three years. And then Jezebel just says, you're going to die tomorrow. And then that's it. That's the end of it. Like, there's no other, there's no evidence. Now, maybe she did. I don't know. Maybe. It's just not in Scripture for us to see. But all that we know is that she simply made a threat and it broke him. It broke him. Look at what it says in 1 Kings 19, verses 3 through 5. It'll be on the screen. Elijah was afraid, and he ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. While he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he laid down under the bush and fell asleep. Can you relate? This is stress that is leading to burnout. How, how do we get there? What, what mistakes did Elijah make here? And what mistakes do we often make? So I, I want to point out three things that we do that can lead us to burnout if we're not intentional and if we're not careful. Here, here's the first thing that he did. We run ourselves into the ground. That's what Elijah did. Because right away, he was afraid and he ran for his life. And what we do is when we have problems, instead of facing them, we just go, 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 go. And we don't stop. We don't slow down. We run ourselves straight into the ground. And we think, we think, okay, life isn't going the way that I, wanted to, that I want it to go. I just need to go even harder. I just need to run even harder. I need to run even further. I need to do more and more and more. And I don't need to actually face anything. Rather, I just need to do other things that will then help me in the thing that I don't want to face. Do you know how far Elijah ran to? All the way to Beersheba, which is the furthest south that you can go. The furthest south. It's over 100 miles away from where he was. 100 miles on foot. I mean, he just kept going and going and going. And maybe for you right now, maybe you are running 100 miles right now. 
Maybe you're just trying to get as far away from your problems as you could possibly get. You're just trying to do it all. Maybe, maybe you have multiple jobs going on. Maybe you're dealing with school. Maybe you're dealing with family. Then you have soccer practice. Then you got church. Then you got housework. Then you got your friends. You have responsibilities. You have to provide. And you simply cannot slow down. Because if I slow down, I'm going to be even further behind. See, we buy into this. It is so easy for us to buy into this. And all of those things that I just listed are good. There's nothing wrong with any of them. There's nothing wrong with spending time with friends. There's nothing wrong with working hard. There's nothing wrong with coming to church. There's nothing wrong with going to school and getting an education. There's nothing wrong with any of this stuff. There's nothing wrong with soccer practice. All these things are good. They're fine. Nothing wrong with any of them. But if you're to a point where you feel like you can't even breathe, then there's something wrong with all of that. You follow me? This is, when it comes to like responsibilities, and you know, I'm an adult now, so like when I think of all of the, if, if I actually stop and I think about all the responsibilities that I have in my life, it's easy to be just like paralyzed with the amount of things. It's so easy to do that. It's so easy to be like, okay, so I have a family to lead. I have three kids. I have a wife who I love, who I, who I want to invest in. And then I'm the pastor of a church, and there's over 100 people that I'm trying to keep track of and I'm, and I'm trying to talk to and I'm trying to invest in and I'm trying to help them get closer to God. And, and, then, and then it's easy to take on the burden of you. It's easy to do that as a pastor. It's easy to, to, to be overwhelmed with, oh, well, this person, I haven't seen them in so long and I don't know how they're doing in their faith. And I, I, I want them to know Jesus in a real way where it changes their life, and, and I want their life to be better, but, but I know the struggles that they're going through, and now they've left, and did I do something, or was it, was it something that I said, or could I have done more? Could I have maybe changed the way that, that I pastor, or like, is there something that I could have done? You know what? You know what I need to do? I need to, I need to just work harder, and I need to just take more time. And, and I need them, and, and it's, e it's so easy to see how a pastor can get burnt out when you think about all of those things. And I'm not saying this as a, as a pity thing at all. I'm just, I can only speak from my experience, because you would have a different experience. And there are so many things in your life that can also burn you out. But what the, uh, to me, I really believe that the biggest thing that pushes us to burn out is this sense of responsibility over things that you are actually not responsible for. That's the biggest thing that pushes us to burn out. Because the truth is this, I'm your pastor, I'm not your savior. I'm your pastor, I'm not responsible for your salvation. You are. I'm not even responsible for my wife's salvation. She is. And when, when, I, when I try to act like I'm the savior... When I try to take on responsibilities that were never meant for me to take on in my life, that's when I fail. And that's when I get burnt out. 
And pastors are egomaniacs anyways, if you didn't know. I mean, think about how arrogant it is to think that every week people want to hear what you have to say. <laughs> That's crazy. So anyways, it's easy for a pastor to be an egomaniac. Very easy. Um, and it's also easy for pastors to get burnt out. And you hear about this so often with pastors because we take on that responsibility that we should not take on. And we think that we are so important. I'm so important. I'm a pastor. I can't slow down. People need me. Guess what? You don't need me. You don't. All you need is Jesus. And that's why it breaks my heart when a pastor leaves a church and then the church falls apart. It should never happen. Because you're not committed to me. You're committed to the church. You're committed to God. You're not committed to Shane's church. And if you are, then I would encourage you to go find another church. Because I don't want to be your God. Please, no. I can't. Can't do it. And if I feel like that is the case, then I will get burnt out. And I won't be a good pastor. So you know what's going on in your life, right? You know what's happening in your life. And if you're running yourself into the ground, you need to slow down. Here's, here's a second thing that Elijah did that, that we often do. We try to do it all on our own. Did you notice what, what he did when he went to Beersheba? He left his servant there. Why? Why would he do that? We don't let other people in when we feel like we're struggling. And that's exactly what Elijah did. He's hurting. He's struggling. He's burnt out. And what he does is instead of surrounding himself with the people who are closer to him, which his servant would be one of those people, so instead of surrounding himself with people who are good for him, who can support him, who can pick him up, he left his servant behind and he went by himself. He didn't let other people in. See, we don't ask for help. We don't let other people in and we aren't honest about what we are dealing with. Everything is just fine. We don't tell anybody about, about when we're struggling. And Elijah makes this huge mistake. I mean, this, this is his right-hand person. Left him behind, his friend. And for some of us, when life gets tough, we retreat alone and we don't want anybody to talk to us. And if they, if they call, if they text, if they show up at my front door, I'm going to act like I'm not there. I'm going to ignore everything because I don't want to talk to anybody. I just need to be by myself. Really what we do is we kind of turn into, um, what well, we retreat and then we get alone, but we kind of turn into um, toddlers in a car seat who want to do it all by themselves. Have you ever tried to put a toddler into a car seat who says, no, let me do it? Have you ever tried to do that? It's the most frustrating thing in the world. Yeah, after 25 glasses of milk, yep. When you get a toddler in a car seat and they say, no, I got it. And then they're like, <laughs> and you're like, I just want to leave. Please, can we leave? I will do this. It will take me two seconds. Just let me do this. And they're like, no, I got it. And then they're like pinching their fingers and they don't know how to. And it's so unbelievably frustrating. 
when what they don't realize is, I'm right here, I can help you, let me help you. And they say, no, I got it. When they don't got it. They don't have it. We talked about this a few weeks ago. There's nothing wrong with asking for help. Nothing wrong with it. If you need help, ask for it. Don't be a toddler throwing a tantrum in a car seat. Rather, be an adult and recognize, I need help here. I can't do it alone. How can I have other people help me? How can I allow them? And if you're trying to do this life alone, then you will be burnt out. It's a guarantee. That is a surefire number one way for you to get burnt out in life, if you try to do it alone. And I'm not saying, like, even do you have to be married. That, that's not what I'm saying. In life, we all need people. We all need people. And if you try to do it by yourself, if you're not connected to a Christian community that can come alongside of you, that can point you back to the Creator, then you will eventually get burned out. There's no way around it. Elijah discovers this. He gets by himself. He leaves his best friend behind, and he goes, and he's struggling. This is, this is why I, I always get so nervous with, uh, with church online, right, and just watching online all the time. It's like we, we have this false sense of being a part of a church because, oh, yeah, I attend that church. I watch it on YouTube every week. And it's like, well, you're not. You're not a part of the church. No. If your church is on your couch at home, watching on YouTube, you are not a part of a church. You're not. And I don't care if it hurts your feelings because I care too much about you. And for you to have this false sense of community when your community is you in your pajamas by yourself, it's no sense of community. It is so important that we surround ourselves. We don't come to church just to hear a sermon. We come to church to be a part of a community, to be a part of a family, where now you and I know each other. We have a relationship. I know your kids' names. You know my kids' names. You know what's going on in my life. I know what's going on in your life. And then we can support each other. And then once you actually do know each other, we can recognize in each other's lives when there's something off, even if they don't tell us. You can see it. Say, hey, Tim, you doing okay? You seem different. How can I help? And we come alongside each other and we pick each other up. We support. We love. It's so important. And if you don't have a sense of community, if you try to do it all on your own, you will get burned out. Today is actually the last sermon that I'm preaching for four weeks. Come to church. You better come to church. Okay? I hesitate to tell people this sometimes because this is what always happens. Not always. What often happens when the lead pastor is, is not preaching and people say, oh, a Sunday off. It's like, no, do you know how many great preachers we have in our church beyond me? Like, you better come, better come to church, okay? So it's the last sermon that I'm, I'm not going to be gone for four weeks, but this is the last sermon I'm preaching for the next four weeks. Next week, Pastor Tara is preaching about trauma. The week after that, Pastor Nicole is preaching about anxiety. The week after that, uh, a good friend of mine, Brian Remsch, is coming to tell you about a church plant that he's doing. And then the week after that is Orphan Sunday. And then the week after that, Breakfast Church. That's right. <laughs> You'll hear about all those things. So that's what's coming up. 
And even at Breakfast Church, I'm not even giving a sermon. So really, it's like five weeks that I'm not giving a full sermon. And I'm going to be honest with you. As I just told you about how you better come to church, that gives me anxiety. It stresses me out because, as I just told you, it's easy for a pastor to think, oh, it's all about me. I have to do this. I have to do this. If I don't do this, it's easy to do that. It is part of my responsibility to recognize this is God's church. And I have a great team, a great staff of pastors who can also do amazing ministry that we're going to get the chance to experience. Can't do it by yourself. I can't do it by myself. Don't even try. You will get burned out. Then the third thing that he does, and this has come out, come up basically every week of the series. When we're flirting with burnout, we dwell on the negative. And that's exactly what Elijah does. He says, take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. There may be good things going on in our lives, but all that we like to do is point out the bad, point out the failure. We're all just a bunch of whiners. We're being honest. We love to complain. We think that it makes us feel better. We think that, that it makes us, that, that maybe it helps solve some things in our life when we whine enough. And Elijah is at a place where he's had enough, and what he's doing is he's comparing himself to, himself to others, and he thinks, or he's telling himself, that I don't measure up to my ancestors. I don't measure up to those who came before me. I'm just a failure. What good am I? You know, take, take my life. We think things like, well, no one will ever marry me. I'll never get out of debt. I, I'll never be happy like that person. I'll never be as successful as, as him or her. I'll never fill in the blank. And we tell ourselves these things over and over and over and over again. And then we believe them. These things can combine to create the situation where we just say, I've had enough. Can't do it. I think it's, uh, it's, a, it's a really bad example for us, for the next generation, and for young people. It's a really bad example for us to just talk about how dumb we are, which my wife yells at me for when I do that talk about how ugly we are, to talk about how difficult life is, to talk about all the bad things over and over and over. And we say things like, just wait till you get older. Just wait. As if that's giving any sort of hope to the next generation. Like, because I'm miserable, now I have to pass on my misery to the next generation because I'm not happy, it's a terrible example. And I, I, really, I really want to encourage you, be intentional on celebrating the good things, pointing out the positive things. And it doesn't mean that there aren't bad things in your life. Feel them. As we talked about last week, feel them. It's valid. You're allowed to be sad. You're allowed to have bad days. But if, you're, if your personality is always the sky is falling, then there is something wrong. 
and it's just leading you closer to burnout and further away from God. So all these things combine, and we say, I've had enough, and then we give up. But the cool thing is this. We serve a God who is pursuing us in our darkest moments. Because right in 1 Kings 19, 5 through 6, it says this. This is after Elijah just said all those things. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around, and there, was, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. Elijah needed to get up, he needed to eat, and then he needed to get some more rest. Some of us need to do this exact same thing. Some of us need to just get up, get a bite to eat, and then go back and lay down again. Amen, right? <laughs> some of us need to do that. Now, maybe not all of us. I gave a sermon one time that a lot of people still make fun of me about, <laughs> where I talked about how I think naps are stupid. Um, and uh, I don't think they're stupid, but I think that some of us abuse them. That I'll, I'll leave it at that, okay? Some of you do not need to take another nap. You've had enough, okay? You don't need another one. You don't need to nap every day, okay? Some of us need to take a nap. Some of us need to slow down, observe a Sabbath, breathe. I, I can't say this enough about a Sabbath. If you do not observe a Sabbath, you are sinning. There's... I don't know how else to put it to you. You are actively sinning if you do not observe a Sabbath. It's just the truth. And I tell it to you because I love you. But some of us need to get some rest. Some of us need to rest in a different way. Maybe then we, because not everybody rests by sitting there. Here, here's an example, okay? Here's honestly, this is how I rest. I like to play softball. I like to play golf. And I like to play hockey. That's how I rest. And here's why that's how I rest. Most of my job is mental. My job is not always physical. Now, getting a building, Dave, it's more physical, but it's not always physical. Most of it is mental. That, that's where I need a break. I need to turn off my brain and just do something where I don't have to think about anything. That's where I need rest. And I can do that when I play a sport. So like Lauren and I have had conversations where I'm like, I just need to go and do something. I need to go and play something. Because if I don't, then my brain is going to keep going. I need some rest in that way. Maybe that's how you rest. Or maybe you work a physically demanding job. Or maybe throughout the week you're physically doing things all the time. Maybe you're so sick and tired of chasing around little kids. Maybe, maybe you just work really hard. Maybe you work outside on roofs or... or cutting the grass, whatever it is, and your rest is, I need to sit down and do nothing, then sit down and do nothing. You need to find time to slow down and rest. If you work with your mind, then you need to disengage your mind and engage your body. If you work with your body, then you need to disengage your body and engage your mind. So if you are physically always going and doing something, then the way that you need to relax is not just to sit there and stare at a TV for eight hours, but rather maybe it's sit there and you read. Maybe you listen to music. Maybe, maybe you do watch something for a little while, right? Like those are all ways that you can relax, but you have to be smart and intentional about it. After Elijah had time to rest, then, then let's look at what happened. He, he's rested. He feels a little bit better in verses 11 through 12. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind 
tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire came a gentle whisper. You know what this says? You know what this tells me? Is that God is in the ordinary. God is, is, is in the whisper. He is in the quiet moments in life. And if we're only looking for God in the big things, what we're we're looking for, rather, is a feeling and an emotion instead of God. But if we slow down and we look for God in the ordinary, that's where we find him. It's with the gentle whisper where he comes along. The quiet moments in life, early in the quiet morning, when you're maybe folding laundry, right? Maybe when you're changing a diaper, maybe you're on a long car ride. That is where God is. He's not just here on Sunday mornings. He's not just when you're, when you're playing loud worship music. He's in those quiet moments. And do you know why God's voice comes in a whisper? It's because he's always close. He's always right next to you, everywhere that you go. He doesn't abandon. He doesn't leave you. When you feel this stress, being overwhelmed, burnout, think about how you're going about your life. Think about what unhealthy habits you are investing in. Think about the healthy habits that you can invest in. And recognize God's right there in a whisper. But he's not going to shout over top of all the noise. It's kind of like when you have a teacher in school and, they, and, the, and the class is all loud and they go, I'll wait, and they just stand there. You know what I'm talking about? I'm not going to shout, right? I'll wait when you're done. And then all of a sudden people are like, they're throwing things, kids are th- and they're looking, and, and they're really loud, and then one kid notices that the teacher sitting there silently, and then another kid notices, and then another, and then another, and then it gets really quiet. You know, the, you know that situation? That's, that's what's happening in our lives with God. I've got so much noise, I've got so much stuff taking me away, and God's saying, I'm here whenever you're ready. I'll, I'll wait, because that's how much I care about you. Do you feel burned out? Are you on the edge and you feel like it's all too much? If so, slow down. Take a breath. Relax. Eat some food. And listen for God. I'm going to invite the worship team up as we close. And you know where you're at. You know if if you're feeling overwhelmed you're feeling stressed you know the things in your life that are contributing to that and maybe you need to eliminate something maybe you need to say okay we're not going to join this activity that's fine maybe you need to get your priorities straight maybe you need to focus on what you should be investing in instead of focusing on how you can do it all maybe you need to say no to something 
There's nothing wrong with that. Because just as I talked about, I'm not the Savior, neither are you. Neither are you. You can't do everything. So don't try. But rather, focus on what you can do. Focus on what God has called you to do. And recognize that he is working in your life if you allow him to. If you feel like you're on the edge of burnout, it's not too late. And maybe you feel like you are over the edge. You can always come back. We can put things in your life that will help. And if you feel like, I don't know what is good for me and what isn't, then eliminate everything and start with Jesus. That's it. If, if, if we're to a place where it's like, I can't discern what I should do or what I shouldn't do, I, I don't know, I can't, I can't figure it out, then that means that you need more of Jesus and that's all that you need right now. So that means, it, it, it could even mean, hey, don't serve at church. Just come and pursue him. It could mean, hey, don't, don't sign up for every extracurricular activity at your kid's school. It could mean taking a, a little bit of time, not forever, not forever, just a little bit of time to eliminate everything except for God and then build that foundation and go from there because when you have the foundation of God, things will become clear. I promise you that. His wisdom is what we want, not mine and not yours. Amen? Focus on Him. Let's stand and let's sing together.